0: meeting is being recorded. Okay, hello everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here on episode 220 of the Premier Chess podcast with a friend and colleague, Grandmaster Keith Arkell, who is an English Chess Grandmaster, uh, joining the slew of other uh, English Grandmasters who have been uh, on the podcast uh, previously, uh, like Nigel Short, Grandmaster Plaskett and several others, and uh, I actually first met Keith uh, quite a while ago uh, in New York when he uh, did a run of several tournaments. Uh, honestly, Keith, it was actually a lot longer ago than I remembered it being. Looking at your Wikipedia page, uh, seeing in uh, like 2007 and places, 2008, you know, I, I, I felt know like it was a couple of years ago, and I was like,
1: "Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> 2007, really 2008, crazy. yeah, like, yeah, you know." <laughs> There's a lot of things that, are, time's going funny because like some things seem like, some things that were like this, which was like 15 years ago, feel like they were six or seven years ago. And then there's other things which are the other way around almost. There's other things which happened a few years ago and they seem like a long time ago. I don't know if it's just me, but time is playing funny tricks at the moment. I don't know if it's all this lockdown and all these kind of stuff that's been going on lately, whether it just kind of interferes with our sense of time scales or, or what. But uh, yeah, it was, it's shocking that it's 15 years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean it, you know, I, I uh, honestly I don't even remember it being when I was still in high school. I actually graduated from Flight in two thousand and eight. And uh yeah, I mean I, I remember uh you know seeing you around the scene, you know, at the Marshall and elsewhere. We you know, I think had a couple of meals together too, uh, you know, yeah. in, in, in New York. So um I guess the you know, not a traditional way to necessarily start the conversation, but um you know what what was it like for you uh you know playing in, in new york uh you know at that time
1: it i mean it, it was it was um it was a, what was it curious for me was how um because you know here we've got sort of professional players who play chess professionally but the, the impression that i got was that um, a lot of very very strong players are in new york but there's mm-hmm. just not not enough prize money for them to make a living playing chess and so mm. the impression I got was, you know, for example, in those tournaments, it was, um, it was, it was, it, you know, you get like four GMs turn up at the Marshall Club for a four round tournament and first prize will be, a, will be a um, hundred dollars. And, um, and so it's kind of like, it's just, it kind of, nobody can be doing that professionally. So, you know, it's kind of almost like those tournaments are played for fun, but for, 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 it, the impression I got was to actually earn a living. The players are teaching, they're teaching kids, they're teaching chess in schools or teaching Individuals are teaching, you know, teaching a a bunch of seven-year-olds who barely know the moves. (laughs) I
0: have to say, Keith, you know, it's a little crazy. I I remember one time uh, my friend Andre Harding was uh, working as the manager at the Marshall and uh, Grandmaster Kapsky actually came to play uh, just a rinky-dink, you know, Sunday tournament or maybe a Saturday tournament. Uh, you know, game 30, and, uh, you know, not only was first prize, what, 150 bucks, uh, Andre actually felt bad, but it was the club policy that he couldn't even give a free entry, (laughs) you know, to Komsky. (laughs) Uh, You know, yet he was, uh, you know, playing the tournament, and, uh, you know, Komsky was actually very cool about it. You know, he basically just said, like, look, you know, that's the policy. That's the policy. Um, And, I, you know, I just have to say that – You know, I've I've seen, yeah, like relatively small uh, tournaments with, uh, you know, many, many grandmasters. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, I remember the first time I played a tournament actually at the Boylston Club in in Boston. And uh, Natasha Christensen, uh, Larry Christensen's uh, wife, was like, wow, this tournament is so strong, Evan. You know, and there were like a couple masters. And I was thinking to myself, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I wasn't even trying to be, like, arrogant or anything. I just, like, you know, to me, like, a strong tournament at the Marshall was 10 grandmasters. <laughs> yeah. You know, not, not like, you know, exactly, yeah. myself yeah. and, like, two other masters. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that, you know, that to me was, like, not very strong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and when it's, it's not, it's, I guess, I mean, playing enough tournaments, you can't earn a living so it's just something that even like grandmasters are doing because they want to play chess they want to win tournaments but i'm guessing that you know you know a lot of a lot of yeah you know, professional chess players now do other stuff to earn their living and and it's, and it's kind of a little bit the case here as well it's like there's there's the very very strongest players um i mean we've got um yeah mickey adams and Gawain jones and david howell and um actually Luke to a gray area because you know He's kind of he's worked at Goldman Sachs, I believe, for several years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's kind of like a professional. He has enough time to 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 study chess as if he's a professional, but technically he's not. But apart from the the very strongest players, it's like you have to do other stuff. So um I mean, um for example, I mean uh, like uh, my other stuff is um is 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 my chessable my my my, my chessable course which um you know my uncle's ending chessable course which which started off as a ginger gm thing and now Chessable bought up ginger gm and so on and so on and um and i write a lot of articles and um and so on and i guess i guess because i'm kind of a little bit known i i do get decent fees to turn up at stuff but you know that was something that i got the impression doesn't didn't happen in new York state i got the impression even when i played in a i played in a very strong tournament um uh, somewhere up north in a casino, I can't remember. I'm I here. believe, in in Connecticut. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. But I don't get the impression the conditions were great. You know, like I mean, here you'll get, like, you know, the the British Championships coming up, and um, you know, and I'm yeah, I'm getting like eight hundred pounds to play, which is which is um, it means I don't have to I don't have to do well. Um, but I get the impression that um that that. In the states, in general, you have you 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 pay entry fees and you win sometimes, perhaps a lot of money, but there's no guarantees. Yeah, uh, well, so I, of- I
0: think you raised you know a good point, and that's why you know there are probably less you know kind of homegrown uh, grandmasters in, in the U.S. Of course, you know in the Olympiad, the number one team is uh, the U.S., but uh, of course, Shankland is uh, you know the only true homegrown uh, player uh, on the U.S. team. Um, of course, you can make a case for Fabiano. He was born here. I actually knew him when he was eight, uh, playing at the Marshall Chess Club. He, he kind of counts. I think you can claim. Right. I think
1: you can claim Fabiano. But, you know, it's most of his
0: coaching was abroad. Anyway, it's, it's you know it, it, it's hard to say, but uh, ne- nevertheless, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the, the playing conditions abroad are uh, you know very different. Um, I actually a couple months ago wrote a blog post about uh, playing uh, in the U.S. Uh, versus abroad uh, actually, um, I've had, you know, the privilege of playing some, you know, tournaments in Spain, Israel, um, you know, some, some other places, um, uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely different. And, uh, one thing I, I actually encourage, uh, in particular to Americans, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to go abroad for a tournament and just see, you know, how it's different, you know, it's one game a day, usually, um, you know, you're, you're not like finishing one game and playing another game, like. 30 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> I, I, kind of, I kind of get it, kind of feels as if Um, I don't really even necessarily count the UK in this. I think the UK is a little bit similar to America in this way. I kind of feel like on the continent, you know, if you go to France and Holland and, and, yeah, you know, and, and possibly Spain as well and so on, so on, the chess is somehow more respected by the general public, by potential sponsors, by the community, by the, you know, in France, you've got the, um, the mayors of the towns are sponsoring the, putting a lot of money into the club, so it's more like a, like like a football team. You know, the the, the the club get a lot of local money to, and 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 yeah, you know, and, and they're recorded and, and, and noted in the in the kind of the the, the local newspapers and I think it's all quite it's all quite respected. And if you yeah, but I get the impression, perhaps slightly more so in America, but certain here as well that it's kind of you're out on your own, you're doing your own thing. Everybody else kind of wonders what. They kind of frown a little bit, chess is a bit weird, you know, that that kind of thing. It kind of it's not kind of mainstream somehow. It's not quite doesn't quite receive the level of respect it deserves. Well, maybe it's changing a little bit with things like Queen's Gambit, I don't know. Um, um, that's a feeling that that's the feeling I get when I go on a continent, on a continent of Europe, chess is deeply respected in a way that it's not in the UK and America.
0: Hmm.
1: But it's not the public. Yeah, well, I definitely agree. And, uh, you know, one thing
0: I, I just saw actually a, a post that Judah Polgar actually did about uh, the Olympiad uh, and her commentary and just how everyone in Chennai is, is is watching, uh, you know, the Olympiad, right? It's just a very different, uh, you know, culture. Uh, so, the, uh, yeah, you know, P- PR of chess abroad is, uh, is is bigger. So, um so, yeah, before we get uh, a little bit more into, uh, you know, your own career, uh, you know, playing style and, you know, all of that, uh, could you just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, like chess PR, uh, your, your, what what you've seen uh, in the last couple of years with Queen's Gambit and everything?
1: Actually, um, it's, it's curious because personally not much has changed. Um, it's not like I, I've not had radio radios contact to me and asking me about wanting to do interviews and stuff. It's kind of, it's kind of like, it's the same. Um, um, I've just maybe for me the only difference is a few old school friends have got in touch with me saying, "Oh, Keith, I've been seeing all this stuff about um, you know, about the about the popularity of Queen's Gambit." But I, I don't, I don't know, I don't. For me personally, I don't see any anything different. I, I mm-hmm. still get invited to the same tournaments. I still meet up with the same people. The same. I don't, you know, I don't see people in the street waxing lyrical about chess. I, I don't know. It's done something. I mean, I guess I guess the problem is it's like, it's not a problem, but I guess it, these things move slowly. So let's say a whole bunch of female players or young players are, are introduced to chess because of Queen's Gambit. They've just been introduced to chess, and we know what chess is like. It takes years to get good. So mm. this, is it going to take years before we really see the effects of it? Yeah, it yeah, there's, yeah, there may be a whole bunch of players now who are still at beginner level, but you know, in ten years' time, they'll be very, very good. Maybe, maybe there's tens of thousands of these people who we don't know about at the moment. So, yeah, it's too early to talk about the effects of, of this stuff. Um, but the media's given given it good publicity, I guess. I mean, yeah, we've got we've done. I guess chess has done well out of it out of it all. Um, but, but what well, I like and, is what and, I like... yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say what I like is, I like positive stories about chess. What I don't like is when the only time the media are interested is when there's some scandal or or, or some (laughs) negative things. And that's that's what happens, isn't it? The media, they they only mention chess to to, to, to kind of, you know, elaborate on how how weird they think it is. And they try to just, there's more evidence of how weird chess is. I don't like that. It's just unfair. It's unfair on most of us who are kind of, you know, we're not, we're reasonably sound normal people and, and yeah we got a bad we got a bad rap in some in, in, in the media I think over a long period of time I mean maybe it's correcting now don't know
0: no I I I, I get that and uh yeah no I I do actually absolutely, absolutely think that uh you know is rising uh but uh you know for, for good and bad reasons I guess <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah so yeah, if we could, uh, you know, move forward, um, you know, you, I, you know, I, I would think that, uh, you know, look, you, you, you become a, a grandmaster, uh, obviously, uh, in, in in your in your years. Um, could you, could you talk a little bit just about, uh, you know, kind of like your, your road to the grandmaster and any tips you might have, uh, you know, kind of amassed along the way.
1: Okay, so, um, I learned chess late late in life. Um, relatively, I mean, now you get kids learning at three and becoming good at ten, and some becoming grandmasters at twelve and thirteen. I, I learnt the moves just before my thirteenth birthday, and um, and um, I absolutely loved the game. And my brother, my, my brother Nick as well, he's fourteen months younger than me. I dad came home <laughs> from work one day in about in 1973, I think. Yeah, it was. And, um, and he younger sister some. This this amazing game he just learnt. I think it was, it, was a, it was the aftermath of the Fischer-Spassky match, and me and my brother absolutely loved the game. And but as a person, I lacked confidence. I and mean, this is quite a common thing. You know, we have more and more people coming out now and saying that they lacked confidence when they were at school. They lacked confidence as kids. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm another one of these people. I would low self-esteem and all this kind of stuff. I was terrified of everybody. Terrified of the world. And suddenly this thing, this this activity came along, which I was good at, and and I was getting this kind of Good feel about good good feedback from people, made to feel good, and for, you know for the first time in my life, I'm you know getting feeling positive about something. So I absolutely love chess, and um, and I left school with, and, and I started just playing chess full time. I lived with my parents, and I just had this ambition of wanting to become a, a strong well a grandmaster essentially. About eighteen, sorry, and I'm just doing the conversion leader, maybe. Maybe day 2000, 2050 strength. So I, you know, as a as a seventeen year old school leaver, I people would say, well, he's not particularly promising. But I was really really confident, and um, I um, I became an IM ten years later. Um, got married. Um, for um, I've had a marriage for eight eight years to uh, um Susan, who be became um, Britain's strongest um, female chess player. She started off, she was 1800 when we met, and then when we split up, she was 2400. So I'd like to think maybe maybe, maybe I helped her a little bit there. And we, and we travelled the world and went to some great tournaments. Didn't really help my chess, but I had a great time with, with the chess because we were playing, we were going around, to, you know, women's tournaments, women's zonal tournaments, women's interzonal tournaments, places like Yugoslavia, tournament, a great tournament in India. But um, these were kind of like, these weren't tournaments that an IM who wants to become a GM would be interested in normally so 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 kind of my career was on hold from um i've become an arm i think at about 25 my career was on hold for about 10 years but i was enjoying the chess but i didn't really get any stronger then when we split up i very quickly became a became a grandmaster um, um i became about 25 45 at a time when there weren't many people around that rating um and um and that's it. And I was a grandmaster and and, and, um, and I plodded along. I had, to, I had to earn a living playing weekend tournaments, which don't really, mostly weekend tournaments, which don't really help your chess. You know, p- p- people talk about, about, um, you know, having to give up chess and, and do a career outside of chess. Um, in a way it's paradoxical because I was a chess player, but in effect, I wasn't doing anything useful for my chess. I was just, trying, you know, I didn't have any money. So I was just tr- trying to survive as a weekend tournament player playing Ordinary players, not you know, if if I'd had some sponsorship, for example, I would have been able to play in strong tournaments, very you know, very strong tournaments, and to see how far I could progress. So so progress was very very slow with me, even as a grandmaster, progress was very very slow, and I, and I, I spent a lot of time playing tournaments where you simply receive a fee, but there's no there's no um there's no incentive beyond the fee. You get the fee, four hundred pounds or whatever, and hotel, and then there's no prizes. So I'd, I'd be going on to this tournaments, giving everybody draws, just not doing anything. And then and then suddenly at the age of 50, 53, 54 um, Fide announced that senior chess was um was, was 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 going to be recategorized from from 60 plus to um 50 plus and 65 plus. So I kind of I'd always been excited about the idea that with you know if I can be in good health when I pass 60 I can maybe achieve stuff. Um, but that was like a long way ahead. But suddenly as a kind of 53, 54 year old Frida presenting me the opportunity to, to play for um, these senior titles. And I became, as, this is going to sound strange, but I became more motivated then than I even became about becoming a GM or an IM. I became just, I got overwhelmed with ambition. I was like, I want to do stuff. I feel like I'm strong for my age. I'm in reasonably good shape for my age. And I'm still kind of improving in a weird sense, although well, I'm not showing it on rating. So, so I, um, I, I, I entered these tournaments and... Um, and I, and I managed in 2014 to um, to win the European the European Senior Champion the European over 50 Championship, um, um, and and then um, and then at the end of the year I came equal first in the, in the World Senior Championship, and but it, it's like these weren't flukes I had I became the motivation enabled me to become a much stronger player so suddenly at the age of 54. I was not only really doing well in senior chess, but I started doing well in everything. So I made four GM norms in a row, which is probably on 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 I mean I got I got a GM norm at um um so at the Isle of Man tournament, very strong tournament where I was playing pretty much short and Adams and and um uh, and um uh can't remember the names of the you know, top players in you know average field of about 26, 30 or 50 or something. I made, a, I made a, what, would, what would count as a correct GM number, the Isle of Manic, a correct norm at the World Senior, and a correct norm at Hastings. This will be the end of 2014. And then at the next tournament where I got the right pairings, I, I played in Vienna in um, August in 2015. And I got seven and a half out of nine. I get very, very strong to 38 grand masters. And I made to come second, equal first, second on tie brain. Again, again, clearly easily made the GM room. So I made four GM rooms straight at the age of 54. And it was and it was motivation. It, it was, I was motivated and that makes such a big difference. I don't I think if you keep your health, then you can continually improve or keep the level, even improve. Um, and I think but I think a lot of a lot of chess players. When they get older, they lose their fight. They they think that's it. I've done it now. I can't be bold anymore, and they lose their ambition. Um, and they think that they're getting. They, they they must get weaker as they get older. I'm not sure that's necessary.
0: Um, yeah. Well, you raised a lot of important points there. You know, I think for one, uh, you just need to get rid of uh, limiting beliefs. You know, I I wrote a, a blog post a couple months ago. Um, or, almost a year ago now, uh, about limiting beliefs. And, you know, I think a lot of players think, yeah, if they didn't uh, start playing, uh, you know, at age five, they can never become uh, a strong player. Um, You know, we do a lot of corporate classes uh, at companies like Google and Citigroup, other, you know, major corporations. And, yeah, very often I I hear, uh, you know, from adults, oh, I I wish I learned chess, uh, you know, as a kid uh you know look maybe they're not going to become like yourself a, a grandmaster but there's no reason they can't uh you know get to you know say at least 1800 you know something like that well, well, know, if they, the if they really and- put their mind to it
1: yeah I, yeah th- th- i think i think it doesn't matter they don't have to set limits i don't have to set targets but um the key thing is is that from the moment that they learn they can continually improve i think you i think um you you can yeah you know you can improve just by simply I mean even just watching chess you know watching chess I mean it's we've got we've got such a gift now that we can just watch strong players and you know just discussing chess um, you know um, I mean just watching Olymp I'm just watching Olympiad with um, with with Peter Schwidler. and um, and oh goodness help me with the name that's the, um, top Hungarian player made the, one of the best in the world peter lecco so i can't do names peter lecco and Shridler. I just listen to those commentating you know moving from game to game to game commentating on olympia and, and um and they just everything they say is really valuable everything i say about every position in fact in some ways it's more valuable than than seeing a game annotation when a, when a game is annotated it's kind of people use engines they have all you know they, they kind of try to do the best possible job annotating a game i think it's more instructive hearing what top players have to say by their first thoughts, by their intuition, by, you know, the kind of move they want to play if everything else is normal. The specific analysis doesn't even matter so much. So, for example, a Kasparov game, a really well-intentioned, brilliant game by Kasparov, you can admire, you can admire, but you can't necessarily carry the information, take the information out of that game and apply it to your own game. You know, a game where there's a beautiful line, where Kasparov saw 14 moves ahead, beautiful, great admiration for it. What, What can you... You can't do anything with it. But uh, um, if you've got it like, say, for example, a positional player explaining game after game after game, you know, going to the, the Olympiad game, saying what they would like to do, what the plan is, what, what piece they want to exchange, what they're trying to do, that is, that is priceless because you can take that information, unlike chess variations, you can take that information to, with you and, and, and apply it to your own games. And, um, and this is kind of a little bit, this is kind of how I write. When I write my books, I don't know whether this is, whether you wanted to go into that subject or whether we can just drift drift into the subject of, of writing. But but um, when I um when I write, I don't I don't care about what computers say. I mean, I care from you know I get back from a game and I I look at the engine because I'm curious. When I'm writing, I don't kind of I don't try to I don't try to explain long very long computer variations of what's happening in the game. What I what I do is I try to think aloud. I try to say what my thoughts were. At the game and now that m- m- might mean there's not not much analysis sometimes but I'm just saying what my thoughts are I really wish I could exchange that piece I really wish I could get in a move b5 in this position I really wish I could get my king safe. I need to get my king safe with g3 and King g2 just these thoughts which players can apply to all these kind of positions I believe is more instructive than, than, than a long long line of analysis mm.
0: and uh That I think is, uh, you know, maybe actually a good transition uh, to, you know, another big point I wanted to uh, discuss, Uh, you know, you wrote um, Parkle's ending, you know, you've been uh, obviously a a strong endgame player for many years. Um, I did actually uh, last night listen to uh, your podcast recording with uh, Ben Johnson uh, from from two years ago, uh, perpetual chess podcast, of course. And, uh, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, quite a bit about, uh, you know, being an end game player, sort of avoiding, uh, you know, some of the you know crazy main lines against, uh, you know, some 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 younger players, uh, as you you know, especially in uh, the the weekend twitches that you uh, often uh, play. In. So, um, yeah, I, I guess to uh, you know the, the first question I, I thought I would ask about that is, um, what is sort of you know. The, the biggest kind of misconception that, uh, you know, a lot of upcoming players, let's say, you know, maybe 1,600 to, you know, 2,300, uh, you know, or so, uh, you know, might have about uh, end games and, and, and openings.
1: Okay. So first of all, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I'm probably going to annoy a lot of people by saying this because people, you know, hundreds of people are making a lot of money, selling opening, opening, opening stuff on, on chessboard. but you know i'm just saying what i've always believed to be the case I, I think i think too much energy is expended by um average let's say average strength chess players i don't know what an average strength chess player is 1600 1700 but, um but um by you know let's say non grandmasters, non-ims non-professionals let's say too much energy is expended on, on the openings and, and i think I, I think that you know you've so you've got like hundreds of players out there all getting these courses and getting these books and learning loads of theory and then they play against each other. And so they kind of get to some position and move 23 or something. And then they've got to play this position, but it's kind of, I I don't know what, what they might as well just play chess from move one. I mean, it's like, it's, you've got to understand what you're playing. Otherwise it it, kind of don't really see the point. I mean, I don't see, I don't see the point of learning long, long lines of opening theory. Um, well, I think I—I I mean, if you're a very top player, then you kind of need that to as a kind of addition to your understanding of chess. You need the kind of computer stuff to get that tiny edge that you're trying to get against your fellow kind of super GMs. But um, at, a, at, a, at a more ordinary level, I—I don't. I honestly, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get all the energy expended, which is not going to make the players stronger. It's just going to give them, they're hoping to get a practical, advan- a practical advantage over their opponent because they know a little bit more theory than their opponent. I, I, think, I think it's more important to, um, to learn how to evaluate, to, 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 to learn what the plans are in any given position. You know, if you've got a position on move four or move six, just understand what the plans are. And um, now there's ways, ways of doing that one-to-one coaching. Another way of doing it is just to play the positions over and over and over again. Before you even learn the theory, another way is to look at courses and books. But but you know, but um, but understand what what you're trying to um do in the position, what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to exchange, what you're trying to, um, what structures you're trying to get, what what pieces you need on a board to combine best with the pawn structure you've got. This kind of general understanding, if you can enhance that, then um, you can keep that with you with you for life. Um, but I think too many players are, are just like I say, learning opening theory parrot fashion without adding mm. to their understanding of chess.
0: Yeah. So. And one thing that um you know I've noticed too is a lot of people will just learn openings by, you know, pure memory. Uh you know, so I was actually uh just kind of testing a student uh, a couple uh months ago. Uh I taught him uh a line in uh honestly I forget which opening it was but doesn't really make a difference. Um you know I, I taught him the line. And then I was like, all right, so let's, uh, let's practice the line. Uh, so we started playing, you know, the line. And then I purposely just made a slightly different move, uh, you know, just literally testing to see if he was going to like on autopilot, like make the move that I taught him or actually even notice that I made a change. And no, it was like, he made the move on autopilot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, and w- which honestly I-, I somewhat expected him, uh, you know, to, to do. So um, I think it, you know, if you are going to learn openings anyway, I think it's important to like learn it based on the ideas, you know, so because you're, you're not going to obviously memorize everything, you know, especially if you're not, uh, yeah. you know, Magnus Carlsen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've, you've got to combine, you've got to combine the information with understanding of what you do next. You've got to, you've got, yeah, if you're going to learn how to get to a certain position, if you're going to learn the moves to get to a certain position, then that's only useful if you, if you learn about that position. And, you know, experience that position for yourself, play that position over and over and in online blitz games, for example, or, you know, slower games, if you, you prefer. Um, but, um, but learn about that position, learn about um, how to play, what the moves are in that position, discuss them with a stronger player, um, you know, get material on, on what the plans are. But I think, you know, every, every time you you, you find you learn the plans of a position, that is so that is priceless compared to just learning a bunch of moves in an opening. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, there's no comparison between the two. Um, any information that you can take with you and apply to your own games is is very valuable anything, any any stuff which is just this is the position you get if you play this series of moves, that's not making you a better player how can that make you a better player I go there, he goes there, I go there, I go there, he goes there I go there, he goes there, go there, he goes there, he goes there and then we start playing chess that's not going to make you a better player you just just a different game it's like instead of chess starting on move one chess is starting on move 14 but like you don't still don't understand the position so a lot of that is just pointless um you i mean actually in some ways almost you know when i teach juniors i don't look at openings at all i say if you want to do that stuff you do it yourself all i'm interested in in teaching you is how to play different kinds of positions and so i say show me a position so they show me a position and then we look at that position i talk about i talk about that position Table. In this position, I want to do this, 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 and you should be trying to stop me by doing this, 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 and this. And you can maybe get the initiative over there by doing this, 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 but you need to w- watch out for this, 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 and this. And so, kind of, yeah, I, I, um, it's, what, it's it's knowing what, you, what you're trying to do in a position in front of you that matters. Not knowing what the book, knowing what the book moves is just irrelevant. It's almost mm. irrelevant.
0: So that said, uh, you know, one thing I I was curious about and I, you know, most certainly agree that, uh, you know, endgame study is uh, important and I want to get into that uh, in a second. But um, I did have like a hard time truly believing that, you know, as as a grandmaster, uh, you know, you really like, you know, never studied opening. Right. So I'm sure you, you know, like that, like everything is, of course, and you even said this uh, in your episode with, with Ben Johnson as well, but uh, everything is a matter of uh, moderation. Right. Um, and being, you know, flexible. Uh, so Grandmaster Alex Lenderman, who's been on the podcast uh, before, uh, you know, one thing we kind of spoke about once uh, was when he actually gave me a homework assignment and he said, Evan, I want you to go over all of me, games. Or a lot of them. So I I I went home and I and I looked and I was shocked to see that a lot of them were these long positional struggles, which I never would have like ever known. Uh, you know, Especially the older tile. The, the older tile. The older towel was like incredibly positional. So you know that that to me was like oh wow. But it, it was also a revelation. You know, thinking that like yes, this guy's obviously you know probably the best tactical player of all time. But you know, as a grandmaster. You know, he's well-rounded and also, of course, knows positional chess. You know, I'm sure you've, uh, you know, also had your fair share of tactics and, you know, attacking tactical games uh, as well. So can you talk about, like, sort of the art of being, you know, well-rounded?
1: Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a lot of mythology um, about, about, you know, people confuse styles with, with your kind of strengths or limitations I talked to I mean I'm, I'm good friends with Simon Williams he's a very good friend of mine and we talk we talk we talk about we, we make a joke about him um, how you know people think of Simon as the, this great tactical player and they think of me as this you know end game player but I'm um, actually you know a, a number of the games between me and Simon Simon's outplayed me in some kind of end game and I've outplayed Simon in, in a tactical game and, um, and it's kind of like that in a way the style that you have it doesn't isn't really the, the, you know what your, your what your level is of kind of tactic. If you like, it's almost as if if you become a certain level, like a, a world champion, if you like, in a case of you know Capablanca, you know, it doesn't. The fact that Capablanca plays in one way and Tal plays another way doesn't mean to say that um Tal is a better tactician than than Capablanca. I mean, that's still much to say that. But you know, it's kind of it's. But what, what, what the positional players, or the good endgame players, they are simply seeing all these. They're seeing exactly the same sharp variations, beautiful variations, really weird tactical variations. They're seeing them, but they're seeing them in their head. They're not appearing on the board because they're using they're using the ability to to calculate to, to actually keep everything under control. So um I think I've some I've, I've said this before that um if you're conducting a minority attack, you know a Carlsbad structure, minority attack. Now you know many. 1600 players, thousands of 1600 players in the world understand the basics of a of a, of a Carlsbad structure, a minority attack. You know, you go B4, B5, B takes C6, you give them a weak point. But um, but yet those players still stay 1600 because um, because ultimately, whatever style you play, you play it to your ability. So if you're a grandmaster, then you you can calculate well. Then you can calculate, you can see tactics, you can see really crazy tactics. But um. If you're a positional player, you don't play those crazy tactics over the board. If you're a positional player, you, you analyse those crazy tactics, make sure your opponent can't do those crazy tactics, and then play positionally, so you're controlling things. But you, if you don't see that stuff, if you're a lower-level player, you don't see that stuff, then you'll you'll, you'll be subjected to it because your opponent will see it, and they'll, and they'll beat you brilliantly because you're not, you know, you're not strong enough to, to see the stuff so i think it's style is easily confused with, with 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 abilities um yeah and you've and you've demonstrated with the towel with the towel when you've looked at tau, you you realized that actually he was a great positional player and 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 they, people would say that petrosian was one of the greatest tactical players and i've, I've analyzed No, i've played in the same team as old funderson who was a hero of mine throughout the 80s and later and um old funderson is known as a great end game player yeah, people think of him as a dull player sometimes. People who maybe aren't so much fans think of him as a dull player. Yeah, chopping off pieces, agreeing a draw, sometimes grinding down an end game. I played the same team as Off in, um, in the European Club Championship and in the build-up to that as well. I played many many games with the same team. The positions that Off was most interesting, interested in analyzing were the really sharp tactical slugfests. You you know, we, you know we, Simon Williams was also in that team. And we would analyse these really crazy positions where both players are cast on opposite side and all these wow. weird moves. And all saw this stuff instantly. He was really his, his ideas were really creative and dynamic, and uh, and um, he wanted to stop his first things and everything. So so um. Yeah, the um, the style of the player doesn't isn't doesn't necessarily limit isn't is necessarily because the player can't yeah. force the player it's a
0: personal choice. A yeah, amazing, and I think um, you know it's, it's important to uh, you know be, be well rounded, uh, you know, and I tell students you uh, know all the time, you know, if you're extremely tactical, look at pop games. If you're extremely positional. Uh, you know, look at Mico-style Games, uh, you know, for instance, uh, it'll kind of do, you know, opposite sides of uh, the spectrum. Uh, but, uh, you know, if there's anything else, I, I do, um, you know, strongly think that, uh, you know, look, I play, uh, uh, upcoming players do need to obviously spend more time uh, on the end game. Um, you know, I talk to students all the time. If you go to, you know, Barnes & Noble, uh, I was just at Bar- uh, Barnes & Noble in Lake Forest, Chicago, uh, Chicago area, uh, the other day, and yeah, you know, 90% of the books there are opening books, you know, very few yeah. are, are, are end game books. Um, you know, I did happen to see, of course, a book by a recent podcast guest, Cyrus, uh, Lactawalla, uh, there, uh, you know, which, which is awesome. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, um, and, and I, I've talked about this uh, a couple times on the podcast and in, in, in recent episodes, but. Uh, this past year at the U.S. Open, I, I split a room with Grandmaster Humbaski. And uh, one thing that he literally just shocked me with was uh, I finished the game relatively early uh, in, in one round, I, I, and I saw his end game. I uh, thought it was, you know, fairly equal. He was playing someone, uh, you know, around my level, uh, in around, around 2,200, and when he came back, you know afterwards uh to to the room uh you know he actually mentioned to me like yeah when i got into that end game i knew i was gonna win for sure you know and i was like like what do you mean like wasn't wasn't it fairly equal that i misevaluated?" like yeah you're, you're totally right like it was fairly equal but i just knew like i'm a 10 times better end game player and i was gonna win for sure he had no chances i was like wow and, and meanwhile, I was honestly thinking, like, if I was playing him in that position, like, I might have offered a draw soon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> All right, that's, that's what yeah. I was like, honestly thinking. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have, but I probably would have played on. You know, honestly, like, this you know maybe one, maybe not, but I, I, I at the very least, I, I would have not been like nearly that confident. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to win this, this game is, for this sure. Is,
1: well, this is something that I've always done, right back to my earliest memories, and. I've always, I've always played out every end game. I've, I've annoyed some players by doing it. Um, mm. I mean, um, I, I was playing in, in India in an IM tour. I think I mentioned touched on to earlier. I was in um, 1987 or eight. I was playing in IM tour, 15 IM tour in India, and I was playing um, a friendly guy, a nice nice chap called Alex Wald. He's an IM, and um, and I got to bishop and knight against knight, and mm. and I played on. Because I didn't know, I didn't know. I don't. I I, I can't lose, and I, I didn't know. I didn't course. know whether I could generate anything or not. And and he was making his moves like almost like he was exasperated, like you know, like I'm insulting him. But you know. Um. But um. And I think also in those days probably people played out things less. Now people, tend, people do tend to play everything out. But but this is something I've always done, and I played it out. And he did. He did draw. But then in another game, and it's in it's in our endings. I got I got the same ending. I got bishop and knight against knight against um a a, a a woman player who played in england england olympiad side and um and i did manage to win and and um, i and, and i showed that defense it can be complicated it's not trivial you've only got to push the knight a little bit away from the king and suddenly your your king and bishop and knight can go ahead and can chase after that knight and round it up and this is similar you get this with rook and rook against knight as well as there's um I mean, the first live example i saw of rook rook against knight was um Karpov was playing Fdaknik. The only time I've ever been to a chess Olympiad was 1988, and I think there's been about t- two times. When I'm pretty sure I should have been in the side, but that's another matter. <laughs> I've made up for it by playing in a senior time, the senior team eight times out of eight, so I've got no complaints. But I was at the Stetsonica 88 Olympiad as a spectator because my wife was playing, and I watched Karpov against Fdaknik and I watched how he separate. Looking at it he separated the knight from the king, and then he he spent like 15, 20 minutes rounding up the knight and um, and I just thought this is beautiful. I just absolutely loved it i i and i start, and it, not i'm not saying that was the first example because i mean i um i've done it all my life, which, but i just love end end games not, with not many pieces- you know not many pieces on the board and um and you're a little bit better, and you're just you've just got it you've got a plan you're trying to make progress, you're trying to do something and and um and, and and you know you can and the opportunity is there to analyze you know do a lot of analysis. It's, it's more straightforward analysis because no complication. You know, in normal chess, when there's 32 pieces on the board, it's not always. A, most of the time, you can't analyze. Most of the time, there's just too many variations. There's too. You know, most of the time in chess, it's like you've got six candidate moves, and then the six candidate replies, and it's impractical to analyze. So most of the time, you just play the right move or what you believe to be the right move. Every now and then, you get little skirmishes where you need to think. I go there, he goes there, I go there, he goes there. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and every, and then as the game wears on, more and more. It, the need arises to analyze long variation, but in the end game, you do, you, you need to analyze very long variations very often um, in all sorts of things with races. Um, I mean, night ending to particularly noticeably in that way, you just got to analyze long variation. Very often in night ending, you got to analyze eight, nine, 10 moves ahead. So the need to analyze takes over and, um, but also understanding as well. And understanding comes for me anyway, from experience, um, Understanding comes from just having played a lot, just having played out every ending. So, so to cut a long story short, my advice to anybody who wants to get good at end games is just to play everything out. Don't worry about if your opponent doesn't like it, you know, just play everything out. Just um, whatever you've got, learn, you know, rook and pull against Rook. try, see whether you've got any winning chances. Um, yeah, I like what you like. said there,
0: you know, just keep grinding away. Um, you know, my friend, Fide Master Lee Pressman, who you might remember from your time in New York uh, you know yeah. he like he once played in 1800 and I mean it's kind of crazy but like literally won with King and Rook for King and Rook you know because the 1800 was just like you know I mean it was crazy <laughs> I was shocked <laughs> you know when, 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 when he won but you know look she, she just you know relaxed she was all excited she was about to draw a master and you know like Looking just fell for the pressure you know and and and, and, and lost so uh, you know, look, there, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, actually, my my good friend Grandmaster, Sviata um, Zoria, you know, the, the first time we actually became friends, it's actually around the time you were in New York when he came to the country uh, for the first time. Uh, I think I, know, played and,
1: him. I played him in something or other when I was there, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, yeah I certainly wouldn't be surprised uh, if you if did. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I actually... Uh, Okay, actually, you know, previously lost him a couple of times, and, and this one time I, I, I drew him, uh, actually, but uh, you know, actually turned down uh, turned down the draw uh, in a rook and pawn endgame uh, being down a pawn. Uh, he he was down a pawn, uh, you know, and you know it's interesting, uh, you know, like a lot of people after, and, and he eventually did hold his own, you know, he, he knew the theory, you know, quite well, uh, of course, yeah. you know, being a strong grandmaster. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, there are there actually a couple of people who came to me like after the game and was like, oh, like, you know, why'd you turn down the draw against like the Grandmaster? <laughs> you know, and I was honestly like laughing at that. I was like, well, like, I'm up a pawn in a rookie ball endgame. You know, if the tides were turned, you know, there's no way he would offer me a draw. Or exactly. a draw you you, you know, know, against him, you know, and then, by uh, so the way, Svead came up to me afterwards actually and was like, Evan, like, props to you
1: for turning down the draw, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going to respect it. He's going to admire it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm the same when, um, yeah, I, I admire it when 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 players realise they're better and they don't want to draw. It's a, and it's quite intimidating actually. Even though you know you're the GM and they're the lower-rated player. When you when you kind of you you're you're feeling so uneasy that you just okay, I, I don't want to draw, but I'm offering a draw. You do that because you're afraid of losing. You, you think you realise that you're in trouble. And, um, you don't do it. You, know, you don't do it otherwise. Um, and so, and so, when they decline a the draw, it's actually quite unsettling. And it becomes the moment they, they cross that barrier of brave of bravery and decline a draw. At that moment, their winning chances increase. Their winning chances increase. The GM feels very uncomfortable in that situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think that. The, the, sort of my first advice for getting good at end games is you need to you need to get you need to develop a feel for how to play every kind of end game position and the, and. The, the best way to get that feel is to just play the things out. And now we've got the opportunity to play online. So, you know, play, it doesn't matter about the time control, play five minute chess if you like that, or three minutes or whatever. But just play out end games. play them out, play them out. Get a feel for how to, the right kind of moves are the, the way to play the way to play position. So that it becomes automatic. And, um, and, and, and um, yeah, don't agree a draw. If you've got anything at all, any kind of advantage at all, just play it. Or even you don't even have to have an advantage. Just playing the position, just just believing yourself. I, I'll try and outplay this guy. I'll try and understand more about chess by playing this position out. Um, and then you can you can and you can. I think you probably need to enhance that a little bit by maybe getting some kind of end game material. I mean, I'm not going to start recommending particular books. I mean, there are a lot of good endgame books out there. Um, and, and maybe there's there's some there's some um, you need to have some kind of material as well, so that you can just um, get a basic. Basic understanding of 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 um of which positions are absolutely drawn and which positions are winning and which positions you've got chances you know possibilities to win. One of the problems is um with a lot of endgame. I'm I'm not saying it's a problem. I mean it's a problem in the context of when to play when to when to play from a practical point of view. Most endgame books deal with the, the 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 truth of the position. They 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 talk about they say this is. This is a draw, they give you all information how to draw. This this is a book draw, this is a draw, this is how you draw. it. Or this is a win and this is how you win. Now, real chess is not about that. Real chess is about having an advantage. Yeah, if you're the player who's trying to win, having an advantage. And, and looking for how to create something with that advantage. How, how, to, how to improve that advantage, how to create winning chances, how to make things hard for your opponent. Now, a lot of game books don't dwell on that so much. You know, it's about, it's about, it's about perfect chess. It's about the solution to the position. Do you, do you get where I'm coming from? There's lots of endgame books that are like they, after the truth. Um, and now I, I, I like the endgame books where, where players talk about what they're trying to do, talk about how they're trying to improve their position, talk about how they're trying to progress, how they, what they're trying to exchange, what their hopes are, when to use a king actively, when not to. Just how to, how to improve your position, how to play in practice. There's a lot of books called, which call themselves practical chess endgames and you look at them, this isn't practical chess endgame. This is just the manual <laughs> it's, it's all it's just, uh, it's just yeah, I mean it, it's just know, a,
0: there's a there's a difference of uh you know what's on paper, uh and then you know actual you know end game. So um and yeah, I I did actually hear uh you talking about uh you know this a little bit on, on Ben Johnson's podcast, naturally, how there's you know people like Nunn who have uh you know done a lot of research in endgame games or books on it. Uh, but you have really you know, lots cool. of practical experience, uh, you know, which is uh, you know, also uh, you
1: know, very important. I think you need to combine the two. I think you need to combine. You need to have some material, some books, and and it's a very good one. I mean, some British players who you know Spielman and none are very, very, very good. And um and you know and, and that's just that's my my kind of bias, if you like, because I you know, tend to read the books of people who I know. But they're very, very good good writers. None and Spielman, and so and, and I've written a number of excellent endgame books on the truth of the position and you need that stuff. You you need to have that information. You need to just know know you know you need to know in a simplified position, you need to know what's winning and what isn't, because that saves you a lot of time analysing the things out over the board. If you if you if you're analysing some position and you get to some point in your analysis, it's very useful to say, and that and I know I already know that's winning. Or if you're trying to draw, I already know that's a draw. So therefore I've analyzed it to death, which is almost impossible. So 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 you need to combine kind of um Stuff that just tells you the truth about the position, with stuff about how to play the positions, how to how to play in practice, how to how to how to put your put under pressure, what the plans are. So you need this kind of both.
0: Yeah, well, the combination of theory and you know practical knowledge uh, is definitely uh, you know important, and uh, that's why, of course, I tell all of our students, you know, it's important to. Uh, you know, study books, of course, and, and go over, uh, you know, games, but it's also important to, you know, play on your own, uh, you know, and, and learn from your uh, mistakes, right? Uh, you can't, one or the other uh, will not, uh, you know, make you uh, improve in, 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 the, in the long run. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, so the last thing I, I really wanted to, you know, ask you about uh, is just, you know, how to, Stay active, you know, as, as as an adult player. Uh, you know, you've been uh you know, still actively playing quite a bit. Uh, you know, the UK team recently and the World Senior Championship, uh, you know, won first place. Uh Mickey Adams, by the way, is actually coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So uh, you know, very oh, much so forward it's to, just- to, to to that. Um it's gonna so be it's uh, you know very exciting Great episode. Fun. Um, you know, definitely looking forward to that as well. But um yeah, could 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 you just give you know maybe some ideas on how to uh, you know remain strong you know and uh, you know as as an adult player?
1: Um, okay, I think a big chunk of it is, um, is to kind of I think you have to have targets and remain ambitious. You have to be excited about the idea of achieving stuff. Like I mean, I've I've got a British Championships coming up in a in a few days, and I'm I'm excited about it. I I, I still have that sort of freshness that i had when i first started playing chess as a as a a junior i I, you know i'm ambitious i want to win i believe i can win um i know that it's going to be tough um but um yeah i just i want to i want to play the tournament i i I want to play i want to play chess i want to i I love playing chess i really enjoy playing i I enjoy the um i enjoy the um the, the, the 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 competition um and I love playing chess in my style. If you like, I love, I love trying, You know, I, I really love trying to grind somebody down. If it, I don't, I don't like all kinds of chess. For example, <laughs> I don't like playing. I don't like playing black against a really strong player who's well prepared, and I'm just on the back foot from the start. I don't. I don't like that. So I don't like everything about chess. That is just an unpleasant experience. And actually, it's interesting. Um, Bronstein said exactly mm-hmm. the same to me. I, he was playing at Hastings. Um, I don't know how long we're going back. Time has played funny tricks. Maybe we're going about 17 years or something. Or I'm not sure. But Bronstein was playing at Hastings. And he said to me, oh, I'm playing blah, blah, blah. A Russian player rated about 20, about twenty six hundred or 2517. He said, I'm just I just I don't this is not gonna be a pleasant experience because I'm gonna be put under a lot of pressure. I've got black on me put under a lot of pressure, and I've just got to fight for a draw and and it's all not gonna be very pleasant. And and um and and and, and he did draw the game by the way, and and um and he was probably I don't know what age he was, maybe 70 at the time. But And and, and I'm kind of like the same. It's like there's some kinds of games I simply don't enjoy. There's some kind of games. If I, if I know I'm playing someone who prepares very deeply, I'm not a preparer. I just My memory is too bad to be much of a preparer. And I just don't like does I don't enjoy it for the sake of the energy. But if I'm playing a big preparer, a very strong player, then I'm not looking forward to that game. It's not a pleasant experience to look forward to. But, you know, I'll, I'll fight my hardest. I'll do my best and try to get a result out of it. Most of the rest of the time, you know, white against anybody, um, or, or just you know, once I'm getting to the game, once I'm into the game, I've got a playable position. Then I just love chess, and and um, if I haven't had a draw early on, then I'm going to be I'm going to be playing for ninety moves if necessary. If I'm not drawing a game early on, then I'm trying to win. So you know, I'm playing a game on and on um, and on forever. And so yeah, so, but have ambitions. Though. Like um, I think if you haven't got ambitions, then you kind of go through the motions a little bit. Um, so I mean like for example my ambition at the moment is is to um just get the rating back to 2500 and mm. and be one of the highest rated senior players that kind of stuff it matters to me um actually it, it matter actually interestingly you, you've got Mickey on next next you say. now Mickey is an absolutely lovely guy but a great guy and and uh, you know really loads of respect for Mickey and Mickey's just produced a book which um which um, I've really enjoyed. I enjoyed reading. Which you'll probably t- might may talk to me about the book about Super GM. Now it's interesting. One thing that gave me a little spur on um, was in, the, in that book. So I'm, I'm one of the participants in the book, and, and I'm listed as you know, It's about becoming. It's about how we, to, how Super GMs think. And in his book, I'm listed as a 2420 player. And I looked at it and I thought, bloody hell! If I not if I'm not careful, I'm going to be thought of as a 2420 player. And that and it hit <laughs> me. <and I> thought, <laughs> I've got. This is crazy. I, I can't have that. I'm not, I've got the understanding of a 26, <laughs> i I've got the understanding of twenty-five seventy. This is and it, and it actually, it actually spurred me on. It said, right, I'm gonna. You know, I'm really heavily motivated now to get my rating back to twenty-five hundred, just so that because I don't want the world to label me. I, you know, I'd be labelled as a person who's got the understanding of a, as a. Of a 20 as a 24 20 player because I haven't. It's like you know, these positions that we were tested on. You know, it's like I understood these most of these positions, and you know, I'm not a super GM, but it's the margins are very small between one GM and another GM. And I right. and this, right, I'm not going to be a bloody 24 20 player. This is it. I'm, and that's hugely motivated. I've, I've, I've publicly I've gone public with it. I've said on Facebook, I got to 23, I was 23, um, uh, 67 um three months ago three lists ago i thought this is what's going on what, what am i doing and so and, and so i was like right okay now i'm going to focus every rated game matters and i've, I've, gained, <laughs> I've clawed and in three months i've made to claw um 43 points back. i've clawed my way back to 24 10 which is you know it's not trivial when you got K cape back to 10 it's not trivial if it came back to 20 that would be like 80 points so you know i'm, I'm on my way back i'm on my way back and, and it's and 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 so yeah, what I'm saying is that you need motivation. You can see in my body language. I'm motivated. I want that 2500 back. I want to show the world that, despite being 61, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm a 2500 player. For the sake of it, not because it will make any difference. I get great invitations anyway. I get all the invitations I need anyway. There's no material gain for me except for pride and self-respect. But it, it's driving me at the moment. I want that 2500 back. <laughs>
0: Well, it's great to see that you're, you know, hungry for, for more, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, are okay with, with where they are, um, you know, which is not, uh, you know, how to get better. Um, you know, actually, my, my good friend, Rabbi Mandy Berker, who's uh, also been on the podcast before, uh, you know, he, he likes to say all the time, you know, if you're not like improving and growing, you're actually going backwards. So... <laughs> Um, I think yeah. it's uh, important to, yeah, you know, stay hungry, you know, stay interested, um, yeah. you know, and, 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 be hungry to, you know, Im- Im- improve. So
1: um, and stay motivated. yeah.
0: So, so Keith, I, I really want to thank you for, you know, taking some time to, you know, catch up, get on the podcast. It's been, uh, you know, up. it's crazy, like, you know, Fifteen years since I saw you in person. Uh, hopefully, yeah, we'll it's uh, it's you know make make that work, it's uh, it's you it's know, at great. some point. Uh, you know, in the in the UK or here or elsewhere, I'm sure we'll uh, you know make that happen sometime. But um, yeah, it was, it was great, you know, talking about you know the humor of, of time, you know, the lack of in, in New York, uh, conditions uh, in the US and in the UK. Uh, you know, talking about chess PR around the globe, uh, your road to to Grandmaster uh importance of uh ambition uh you know importance of being uh you know well-rounded uh you know talking about uh you know end game play uh combination of practical uh knowledge and theory uh you know maintenance maintenance of a skill level as a senior uh and of course much more uh is there anything uh else you'd like to add while you're on the podcast today
1: um i I think i kind of feel if i've said what i wanted to say um um it's been delightful to chat to you. It's been delightful to catch up again. And um yeah, I just um yeah, I, I just like yeah, I, this is this is what chess is all about. We have to have these chats and everything and and um and um and let's just hope that let's just hope that we all get back to playing lots of over the board chess. And let's hope that the 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 stuff that's been stopping us from doing that goes away and we can all enjoy our chess all the time again and um yeah, keep playing. Everybody. Definitely, just keep playing. I have to
0: say, it's uh, it, it is actually great to be back. You know, things are happening again. You know, in person, uh, certainly here, uh, and also in the, in the UK, by the way. Uh, you know, I know for sure. I, I get uh, uh, you know newsletters. Uh, you know, every every week. Uh, you know, absolutely. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's great to uh, you know see things uh, you know kind of back yeah. on. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. you know, I've been looking at uh, you know the the yeah. Olympiad. Uh, you know, quite uh, you know, consistently, uh, and there's been yeah a lot of great uh, you know uh, insights there. This guy Goresh is like six and zero. It's crazy. We could talk about the hour we could put um, olympia and everything. Uh, <laughs> so so just that uh, just that uh, just a uh, uh, quick you know last final
1: question. What, what, what team do you think will win the olympia
0: if you had to guess?
1: Um, I, I still I, okay. I think that um the Americans are still. I mean, I had I had a, an, uh, an early draw, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um um I figure moment, what's the, the name of the, the fifth player? I, I, I can't sometimes I just forget names. The name of your fifth player, very famous. Sam, Sam Changman. Sam, Sam, sorry, Sam, yeah, yes. Yeah, Sam. Yeah. Sam who I, who Sam I
0: went was, to
1: university was, with, by the way. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. He seems like yeah. a nice guy. Well Sam, well Sam Sam um, Sam has had a t- couple of very tough he's had two really horrible positions and he's come through it, he's got like a win and a draw from. I kind of feel like and 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 um Fab, Fabi. Who I met up with in, um, I met up with in, um, in Madrid a few months mm. ago uh, um, when I did a similar and he was going to pose as one of my opponents, but I we bit, he was a bit too hungover. <laughs> <laughs> I really he should be saying this publicly. But, uh, but I, mean, I think Fabi and Sam have had, in a way, they've had their rough patches. Fabi's come for a really, really rough patch, and he played nicely today, and he could suddenly end with a run of, of wins. So I kind of think America are in a good position. They've survived a few personal scares. And and you know i have only, I've only dropped one draw, so I think they're still favourites. Um I think that I think your main danger is the Indian kids. I don't think right. I mean India won are very good as well, but I think I just got kind of a feeling something about the Indian kids. Gukesh is winning every single game. I, th- I think your your dangers are the Indian teams. I think America are favourites, but if you're going to be stopped, I think it would be the Indian kids. Well, we we will see,
0: and uh yeah, I mean it's definitely just honestly whoever wins it's just so exciting to see everyone back together you know the the global chess community uh you know etc so um yeah you know it's just uh it's exciting so um yeah so so lastly keith if anyone wants to you know reach out maybe
1: learn you know a little bit more about your books yourself your career uh is there a way people could reach you um i mean well I don't know if you can my email is very simple. I mean people are very welcome to contact me by it's it's simply my name at gmail.com. It's simply keitharkell at gmail.com. Please please email me. Um or you can get arcle's odyssey. Sorry, Arkle's Endings you can get on um on on, um, on Amazon, I think. Or you can get it all sorts of places, but probably Amazon. Um and I've got a chessable course on Archle's Endings. Just search Archle's endings on Chessable. It's doing quite well. Um some you know it's quite quite kind of Happy, happy, to, happy to to, to see um, but yeah but it, contact me directly just by emailing me at gmail.com. Um yeah
0: okay amazing well we definitely uh, you know we'll put that of course in the show notes as well um, I think it is worth mentioning by the way Um R-Cloud's Endgame is uh, yeah definitely one of the better Endgame books around um, we did also recently have uh, Jacob Eggert on the podcast he actually also recently released uh, a great Endgame book uh, as well so Um, You know, definitely check that out as as well. And, uh, yeah, Keith, it's been a pleasure catching up, uh, you know, sort of publicly, and uh, look forward to, uh, you know, staying in touch and uh, seeing your progress. Good luck in the uh, British Championship.
1: It's been lovely, Evan, and thanks a lot with the British. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Cheers.